2: Welcome to the Voices of Reason podcast. I'm Amy Donaldson, your host today, along with a good friend of the program, Dr. Paul White from the University of Utah. He's filling in for my normal partner and the guy who normally does this heavy lifting for our show, Jason Lee. Uh, He's been called out on assignment today. So we are um, uh, operating uh, with me at the helm, you know, Let's let's hope for the best. I'm very excited about today's conversation. Uh, today on the program, we're joined by Lex Scott. She's the founder of Black Lives Matter in Utah. Um, we're joined by a good friend of the program, Chief Mike Brown, uh, who's been the chief of Salt Lake Police Department since June of 2015, and Sergeant Brandon Shearer, who is a uh, Sergeant with uh, the Public Order Unit for the Salt Lake Police Department. He's been with the department about 17 years. Um, welcome to the show, everyone.
3: Thank you.
4: Okay, Thank you.
2: Everybody here. Chief Brown, we'll start with you. What has the last four or five days been like for you? Uh, we're under a curfew right now. Um, can't remember that happening, and um, we've had at least two protests. One of them, which it was was a pretty, ended pretty violently.
1: Amy, um, it's been sad. Um, I think everybody here at the Salt Lake City Police Department, the women and men, um, we're all we're all sad. We're fatigued. We're tired. But um, there's, there's a lot of emotion, and the emotion is that these officers are proud to serve. And I know over the last three or four days, I have witnessed as well as this city and this country has watched Salt Lake City police officers um, exercise great restraint and professionalism, and I am so proud of them and the work they've done. But getting back to the other emotions, everything that we looked and saw in Minneapolis, is, it is sickening. To see what has happened to Mr. George Floyd. Um, uh, The actions of those officers have really um, put a cloud over all the great work that we've done here in Salt Lake City for the last four years Um, and that's very disappointing but despite that our officers continue to exercise great restraint and fresh professionalism and they they've answered every call and so I'm so proud of them I know that we're coming together to heal as a community, and there's, also, there's a lot left to do.
2: So. Yeah. Let me ask you a question, Chief. Um, last night, um, the protesters uh, approached the public safety building, and there was one officer uh, who knelt with them. I did notice later on that KSL had some video of some officers kneeling outside on the side of this public safety building. But did you know about that, and sort of what was your thought when that happened?
1: You know, we didn't talk about that. That was spontaneous. Those officers, in the moment, felt like uh, that is something they wanted to do. But, I, but I'm telling you, every officer of this police department, um, we're all hurting. We all want to heal. We don't. This is not a not a place any of us want to be. And and I think uh, some of the things that have trans, transpired over the last week have showed us we're not in a good place. We still need to come together. There still is uh, systemic racism in our country. Um, and, and but we have worked so hard, and, and I just, I take my hat off, and my heart goes out to these officers because they're the best, and and we'll get through this as a, as an, as a department and as a community, and we'll be better uh, because we're going to come together and we're going to talk about it.
2: So, and I, Paul, I didn't know if you want to jump in here, but I did have a question, and maybe, Brandon, you could take this. What kind of um, work have you been doing the last... Uh, four years? Like, what are, are there differences in training? What kinds of things have you seen as an officer out there on the front lines?
5: So as far as public order for protests and riots, we've really um, given it a focus the last probably four to five years. Um, and the reason is just what you've seen around the country, the civil unrest, um, the problems that have occurred. So we've really emphasized that kind of training. But the point of that training is to be able to restore order If order is lost, ultimately, the reason I joined the squad and many of the people did, though, is because we totally respect people's rights to protest. I mean, Salt Lake City, in my opinion, has always done a good job of protecting protesters, even when protesters have been attacked for exercising their rights. And so we put a lot of work into being able to diffuse volatile situations. Um, We have specialized equipment and training that helps us do that. But again, a lot of us being there is to help people protest and get their message heard without being subjected to violence.
3: So, Chief, uh, uh, one of the things I, a question I have and been, been pondering and being, and have been asked about, uh, it is with, not so much with training, but with having police officers be responsive and more in the communities and could you speak to that a little bit how that may uh, help to not diffuse but at least help to create build relationships for people here in salt lake and those surrounding areas with the law enforcement
1: thank you um i'm going back in history just a little bit when i took over as the chief here in salt lake city I think it, we all remember 2014 was the uh, the incidents that unfolded in Ferguson, and then we had Baltimore, and then New York, and then Chicago. And then we had a, an incident down on uh, Rio Grande. And I remember um, we had protests here. And there was a lot of unrest, and there was a lot of anger, and there was a lot of people that at that time wanted change as well. And I remember talking to those uh, that were out in the street protesting yelling and screaming and saying look can we come together can we sit down face to face and have these talks these hard talks that we needed to have because it's so easy to sit on your couch from your home and scream and yell at a TV and, and hate from afar but when you sit down face to face when you shake people's hands when you look in their eyes um, a lot of those uh, fears and those that hate goes away and we see each other as human beings and so I think that is kind of the attitude and the direction this police department has taken. I remember going down and talking to Pastor Davis and and saying, Pastor, I really would love to have a better relationship with the African-American community here in Salt Lake City. And as only Pastor Davis could do, he looked over his glasses. He took a deep breath and he said, Chief, we've been here for 42 years. Where have you been? (laughs)
0: Yeah, that's Reverend Davis.
1: In one sentence, he spoke volumes. And I I walked out of there committed to making a relationship. And relationships aren't one and done. You don't check boxes. You don't just say, we've had one event. You be part of that community. And for four years, we have attended Calvary Baptist Church. We've participated in trunk retreats. We've done programs with the youth. But what happens is in our community, slowly you build trust and trust is fostered by this uh, cooperation and the trust builds community policing efforts and you 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 now have uh, kind of a culture where we all have come together and we can be together and when we have bad situations that occur across our country or in our city we still have um, those relationships that we can fall back on and we can continue to talk because if you're if you're coasting, you're going downhill. You've got to always push to do better, and that's the commitment of the Salt Lake City Police Department is we're always committed to, to doing better and the building relationships in our community.
3: And I think that's a great way to put it, of
1: thinking about it's not
3: a one-time or two-time or three-time. It is a constant working, building creating those relationships because that's people want quick easy answers and there's a lot of times there's not it just it's working together to come up with good creative solutions that may work in a short term and then maybe de- need to be changed the next time or the next time or the next time
2: mm-hmm. and I want to bring Lex into the conversation Lex I'm just curious to you as he listed off those cities where there have been these high-profile um, uh, deaths involving police uh, You know, what were you thinking? And then also sort of why did you decide to start a a chapter of Black Lives Matter here in Utah?
4: Um, Well, we see police brutality in every city in the United States of America. Um, It's not a new problem. It's been happening since black people stepped on the boat uh, 400 years ago. So... um, I'm sorry, what was the second question you asked? I just wondered about
2: starting uh, Black Lives Matter. Oh, starting
4: the chapter. I was very hesitant to start the chapter. And the reason why I was hesitant to start the chapter, I started the United Front Civil Rights Organization, um, which is a national civil rights organization, and people kept asking for a Black Lives Matter chapter. But I felt like um, it's, it's tough because someone could do something violent in the name of Black Lives Matter, and I have no control over that. But I do have the control with the United Front. So I was very hesitant. I'm very glad that we did start a chapter. Cities that are 2% black, um, that don't have a lot of black representation, it's important to have um, that black representation. And I just want the listeners to understand, when we say black lives matter, we are not saying that our lives matter more or the most. We are saying that our lives matter because they do. Black people are profiled more than white people by police. Black people are mass incarcerated. Um, There are more nonviolent black people um, in in prisons who are like, I believe the statistic, and it's probably not the correct statistic, but the last statistic I heard was 70% um, of black people who are incarcerated are there for nonviolent drug offenses. Meanwhile, we see more violent white offenders on the streets. Um, Our kids are suspended and expelled more from schools. So definitely when we say Black Lives Matter, we're saying that because black lives are under attack in this country. And it doesn't seem like this country cares about black lives.
2: Um, Very profound. And I'm really glad you started that chapter as well. Um, When we come back, uh, we're going to take a little break. Uh, We went a little bit long on that. Segment, but I wanted to introduce everybody. When we come back, um, I I want to revisit this issue that uh, Chief Brown brought up about trust and the relationship between uh, police and um, and the citizens that they they commit to serve and protect. You're listening to Voices of Reason. Welcome back to the Voices of Reason podcast. I am your host, Amy Donaldson. I'm joined today by guest host, Dr. Paul White, a University of Utah uh, professor um, and good friend of the program. Also, uh, as we like to refer to him, he's a devil's advocate and, an, and a, a cat. <laughs> a, a, lover of cats. You are a, a dedicated lover of cats. Um, we are joined on the program today by Lex Scott. She's the founder of the Black Lives Matter movement in Utah. Um, We have Chief Mike Brown, Salt Lake City Police Chief, since June of 2015. And we have Sergeant Brandon Shearer, who is a Sergeant with the Public Order Unit, and he's been with the Police Department for 17 years. I wanted to just revisit this um, idea that Chief Brown uh, brought up in response to Paul's question about um, earning public trust and some of the ways in which that happens. And I feel like sort of what's happened over the last decade is sort of an erosion of the process of when things go wrong. And so, Chief Brown, you mentioned the offline um, a situation that happened here in Utah, where that public trust was undermined and people don't have um, confidence in the process. What what happened with that?
1: Well, I spoke a little bit about how um, there were protests and people were extremely upset. Mm-hmm. And I uh, I reached out and made the made the offer to 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 meet and let's sit face to face and talk about issues and problems mm-hmm. and. Uh, figure out where we need to go a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of times we forget that uh we need to listen and uh, there's two parts to every communicate you know to, to conversation and communication and, and the hardest part is listening and so i made that offer and i i was uh proud that lex scott stood up and said chief i'll meet you and uh, we've been sitting down and talking lex now for about four years um uh, I would say every two weeks. Uh, but, uh, Lex, do you want to talk a little bit about that?
4: Um, well, I think it was a little more complicated than that. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, it because,
1: always is, Lex.
4: <laughs> you know, and, and I don't want to, I definitely am not going to take credit um, for the CAG. The CAG, which what it, is stands for comu- yeah. it stands for Community Activist Group, and we meet with police every two weeks on police reform for three to four years. Um, it consists of police brutality victims and their families. Um, it consists of regular citizens. It consists of Black Lives Matter activists. And it was a coalition of us. It was several of us who came together to try to work on police reform, and we have been attending these meetings. I think these meetings um, don't get enough attention. I feel like these meetings are probably one of the most powerful things that is happening in the United States um, because anyone is welcome. They're they're open to the public. Sometimes you have um, Blue Lives Matter people come to the meetings. You have Black Lives Matter people in the same meeting. Sometimes the meetings are funny where we just laugh and joke. Sometimes the meetings are activists Arguing with police and police arguing with activists—it's—it's um, it's different than anything I've ever seen in the United States, and we've created a lot of change. But I hope you'll give me some time in the in the broadcast to to talk about um, how I feel we can create more change mm-hmm. in police reform, and because meetings do a lot. But you know, we've reformed one police department. Um, how many thousands are in the United States that need the same reforms? I mean,
2: that, that's a good point, because we can deal with the issues that happen here. Um, and I and I mean, the protests are going on for something that happened somewhere else. Um, Chief Brown, what is the sentiment like nationally amongst police chiefs? Do they feel like they need to make some changes or sort of what, what is the sentiment?
1: Yeah, I, I would think... Uh, by a uh, large part, most chiefs are, are very dedicated to building the trust we're talking about and making the change. Um, it's hard, though, and, and it does, it does, it's not easy, and it takes a lot of work and a lot of commitment to, to do it. Um, so um, I think it goes back to what Pastor Davis said. We, you know, This community, this African-American community that has been crying out to, to be listened to over uh, all these many years, um, it's, we need to sit down with them and maybe not talk quite so much open our ears and listen and then take what they tell us and and, and implement it in our in our police departments and through our communities
3: well thinking about um, you know the the protest here in you know it's a jumping off of um, what happened in Minneapolis uh, but also I know there have been some incidents locally here over the last couple a few weeks months years uh, but i was i'd heard lex that you were you were actually in minneapolis and i was just curious as to your on the ground experience being there if you could ex- tell us here um what it's like to be at the at the epicenter
4: well um I mean, there's so many different factors, and its I don't have enough time, but I will say that the last night I was there, um, I was just speaking to how different it was from Ferguson, Missouri, because in Ferguson, Missouri, the police would give you 15 seconds to disperse before they shot tear gas, and mm-hmm. then, obviously, a federal judge ruled that that was con- unconstitutional, so in... um Minneapolis. we were all sitting on the ground. The The organizers of the protest basically said, we want all of you to sit on the ground. We're going to have a peaceful night. We're not going to set fires. We're going to be peaceful tonight. And then we're sitting there, and all of a sudden you see tear gas canisters flying through the sky. Um, they shot flashbangs. So basically it, it just looks like an explosion. So you see several, I filmed this, by the way, flash rings, and then they start shooting us with rubber bullets and you know people are running trampling each other and we continue running but but they don't stop shooting and um a, a girl got shot in the eye with a tear gas canister so mm-hmm. the experience in ferguson versus uh sorry minneapolis was a lot different um, it's a it 's a beautiful city with beautiful mm-hmm. people who are very angry, but I think the coolest thing that I saw and let me this this was amazing the after I want to say on Saturday when the residents woke up by the thousands upon thousands to go look at the wreckage. And um, there's a street called Lake Street where every single, almost every other building is burnt to the ground. And everybody came out with shovels and mm. um, brooms to do cleanup. Mm. And, and uh, the majority of them were, well, I mean, there were people of color, but there were a lot of white people cleaning that up. Now, after they cleaned up, those white people literally um, just went protesting with the protesters again, the same people that cleaned up the city. And I said, what are your thoughts? And they said, our thoughts are we're fed up with police murdering black people. We came to clean up the city, but we understand the anger. Mm -hmm. So that's what it was like. Yeah. We're gonna, we're gonna
2: take a little break because we've gone we're trying to keep on schedule Jason's uh, not here to crack the whip so I will attempt to I'm a terrible <laughs> indulgent parent so uh, we're gonna take a little break you're listening
0: to voices of reason.
2: Welcome back to the Voices of Reason podcast. I am Amy Donaldson, your host today with uh, guest host, uh, Dr. Paul White, uh, University Hello. of Utah professor extraordinaire and uh, definitely devil's advocate in many conversations we've had here on our podcast. Um, uh, he's filling in for Jason, who's on assignment today. Uh, we're joined today by Chief Mike Brown, uh, Chief of the Salt Lake City Police Department since 2015, Sergeant Brandon Scheer with the Public Order Unit and Lex Scott, who is the founder of Black Lives Matter in Utah. Um, I wanted to go to Sergeant Shearer for a minute, and just um, in the last segment, Lex kind of finished out with what she experienced in, in Minnesota this last, I, I think it was, uh, she got home on Sunday, so Saturday night, um, and you had two different experiences, Saturday and last night in Salt Lake City, but sort of what... what what goes well or sort of what, how do you handle those kinds of things? And and when you look around the country, um, do you learn anything from that? Sort of what are your thoughts about that?
5: Yeah, absolutely. Um, we learn every day and I think it's like that in law enforcement, right? Every situation we see, we try to learn from, um, Saturday was interesting. Um, immediately upon us coming in, So we were one of the first, well, we were the first team to respond, um, downtown and immediately upon getting there, um, we started having bottles, rocks, various other objects thrown at us. Uh, the police car that was right behind the car I was in, um, got completely destroyed. And at that time things digressed a little bit. Um, but we were able to, you know, push people back, kind of hold the crowd and, protect officers. Um, Look, again, like I, I said can earlier. Can I just
2: interrupt you super quick because I have a question about that. So sure. when things are going, you know, off the rails or they're going badly like that, but you've had hours of people protesting peacefully, sort of, can you recover or is it just, do you try to separate the the people who are the instigators? I mean, what, what do you think and can, what help us through that?
5: Yeah. So we Again, we want people to peacefully protest. The problem is is people that are causing the riots and causing the damage, um, they hide behind those people that are peacefully protesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of the people that are throwing rocks, throwing bottles, are doing it from far enough back in the crowd that we can't see who's actually doing it. We can only see really well, probably 10 to 20 feet into the crowd. Anyone behind that is not really visible to us um so one of the negative things about that is we saw multiple people that were there to protest get some pretty serious injuries from these rioters um i watched one guy there was like a water meter cover probably 20 pound steel disc um get hurled at us um it actually hit the gentleman right in front of me and almost knocked him unconscious it knocked him down He was semi-conscious and we tried to extract him behind our line to get him medical attention. Mm -hmm. Uh, as we're doing that, the crowd is trying to pull him back in the crowd, which then we're trying to have, I was having a conversation with them and it's like, let us help him. This guy needs help. He's been seriously injured. Um, at that time he turned on the crowd and told them to leave us, leave him alone and let us take him back to get medical treatment. So we, we try and separate those, but many times the rioters and protest, the rioters will kind of use the protesters as cover uh, to create damage. And that's why we train very hard to make sure our tactics are used to only go after those aggressors or those violent people, not the people who are just there to protest. Contrary to that, we also had several people walking right in front of us telling everyone, Hey, calm down. Hey, please pick up water bottles. Remember, we're here to be respectful and polite at the same time as the rocks and bottles are coming in. So it was, it was a unique situation
3: that's one of the things I noticed last with last nights the um, so Monday nights. Okay. it seemed like there were, the people in the, the among the protesters themselves were policing themselves in a lot of ways of uh, pointing out and trying to get people not to throw things to not say things and not do things has there been Have you been working trying to figure out who are some of the leaders of some of these of some of these protests and groups that are from the past, but are going to go forward and having, and working with them to, to, to help them become, have it be more peaceful because I, I just having been in many, a number of protests, I cannot imagine us wanting people throwing and being, you know, being more rambunctious around us either.
5: Yeah, that, that's definitely part of it. We need we need to have conversations with the people that are protesting. Um, near the end of the protest on Saturday, there was a black woman who was near the front of the line, and her sentiment as she was literally yelling at some of the rioters is, you guys are hurting our cause. The way you're behaving is hurting our cause. We want our voice to be heard, and this violence is detracting from the message. Not only that, she again brought up the fact that... Um, multiple people were being injured from their behavior. Last night um, I had the opportunity to talk to one of the protesters near one of the leaders of the protest near the end of the protest. Um, And we had a conversation about, they wanted to continue marching. Um, We'd had some shots fired. We had windows smashed out of a vehicle. So we determined that they were, the behavior was unlawful. And sadly we had to stop the protest um, because of the violence that had occurred. We can't differentiate in a big crowd like that who's being violent and who's not. And we gave them the option. It's like we we understand you, we hear you, we want you to share your voice, but for tonight it has to be done. And they, you know, chose to um, leave for the evening. But I'm sure they'll continue to protest. And again, we respect their right to do so.
2: Well, let me Amy. let me bring Lex in. Yeah,
4: because
2: she yeah. was she showed up just to deal with this issue. Lex, go ahead.
4: Um, First of all, the protests that were held over the weekend in the past few days were not held by Black Lives Matter Utah at all. They were not affiliated with our group at all. Um, The protest was called Caravan for Justice. People were supposed to stay in their cars, um, and it it was my understanding it was supposed to be a peaceful protest that ended at noon. Um, The organizers were counting on about 1,000 people, and what happened was i don 't know thousands upon thousands of people came. they took to the streets they didn 't listen to the organizers. Um, we understand these are new activists who have not been out there um, they 're active they 're basically protesting you know out of anger, which is warranted. Mm-hmm. Um, the majority of them were white people, and we know that the destruction of property and people inciting violence, the majority of them were white people, and that the black and brown people decided to leave when they saw that it became unpeaceful. Now, um, I just want to get that out there. And, And I don't want the focus just to be on that one protest. You know, Black Lives Matter has been protesting here, for, for several years, we've never had an arrest, we've never destroyed property, we don't incite violence, and people that do that will be removed from the chapter. The other day I said I would testify against someone doing that. I will not. I want to apologize for people that heard me say I would testify against someone. I would never testify against a fellow activist. I was tired, I was emotional, and mm-hmm. I said that. Um, but yeah, the focus shouldn't be on, hey, a protest happened and some, some property got damaged. The, the focus needs to no, be behind the anger. We need to work on police reform. We need to figure out why these people are angry and why are unarmed black people continuing to be murdered in this country by police and police are not being held accountable for their actions. We can talk about one protest where some buildings were damaged. You can replace those buildings You can never replace Patrick Harmon, who was killed by police, or Darian Hunt, who was killed by police, or Elijah Smith, who was killed by police. And Martin Luther King himself said, the riot is the language of the unheard. John F. Kennedy said, those who make peaceful revolution impossible make violent revolution impossible inevitable, so if I suggest to the legislators to the police department to the citizens of this entire country, if we want this unrest to stop, we need to seriously talk about police reform we can 't just talk about you know what the the police kneeled for five minutes um, you know we can 't just talk about community policing if the police go into black neighborhoods and make friends with them that that this will stop. We can't just take a kumbaya moment and hold hands with police and hope that the system won't be broken. These are systemic problems mm-hmm. that we are seeing here where police and alternate police agencies are allowed to investigate their own crimes of police brutality and find themselves innocent. Um, that is why in my police reform bill, I pushed for independent civilian review boards that have the power to investigate and bring charges against police. That is why I push for stronger use of force policies and excessive force policies, because we can have kumbaya moments like, hey, I like Mike Brown, the chief of police. We have we have a good relationship. I think he calls me. I can call him. Um, I've said repeatedly he's the best police chief in the United States of America. Um, But me being friends with Mike Brown is not going to stop systemic racism and police brutality in this nation. With
2: that, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to hear from Chief Mike Brown on that very subject. So you're listening to Voices of Reason. Welcome back to Voices of Reason podcast. I'm Amy Donaldson, your host today. Jason Lee's on assignment. So I am joined by Dr. Paul White from the University of Hello. Utah. Hello. Hello, Paul. Um, let's see. We're also joined by uh, Chief Mike Brown, uh, Chief of the Salt Lake City Police Department since June of 2015. Sergeant Brandon Shear, He is uh, with the Public Order Unit uh, for the Salt Lake Police Department, a uh, veteran of the department for 17 years and Lex Scott, who is the Utah founder of Black Lives Matter. Um, Chief, after um, hearing what Lex said, sort of what are your thoughts, and then are there some things that you guys are either working on or that you changes that you have made that people should be aware of? Or what yeah, would you we, like to see happen?
1: Well, I, I tell you what, over the last four years, we have, um, we've embarked on a, a lot of work here in the Salt Lake City Police Department. One of the things that we keep hearing over and over is that uh, there is systemic racism in this country and uh, in within police departments. We brought in a training from uh, Dr. Friedel, and it's called uh, Fair and Impartial Policing. But really, it's centered and rooted in uh, implicit bias training. And we have trained uh, our entire police department on implicit bias. Um, and the first thing, I mean, I hear so many people say, I'm not... Uh, Racist uh, I don't see color. Well, the first thing that uh, you need to realize is we all have implicit biases We need to recognize that and then we di- we need to admit it and once we do that We can start working on it to, to overcome those um, so the entire police department has been through uh, Fair and impartial policing and that has been a huge uh, uh, Task we've also focused on blue courage blue courage training Another training that really speaks to the nobility of policing and why we got into this job. Why did we do? Why did we raise our hand to the square and say, "I am here to protect and serve"? And, and it really takes you back to to that and the roots of, of our commitment to our community. Another one is Arbinger. Uh, Arbinger training really makes you think outside the box and look at people differently because sometimes in policing we see. So many bad things. I mean, most people don't call us on their birthdays or parties. Um, they call us when their lives are in crisis. And sometimes we become a little bit uh, hardened to those things, and uh, we, we put people in a box. You show up on a call, and I say, okay, uh, tell me what happened. I see this person's the victim. This is the victim over here. Okay, you're a witness. You're over here. And, you Because know, you're trying to make, bring order to chaos. Um, and we need to start looking at people as people. That they have dreams, they have ambitions, they have goals, and uh, when we do that, it brings back, uh, it humanizes policing again, and it it, it speaks to us, it speaks to us as officers. And so, those three trainings have really, I think, propelled the Salt Lake City Police Department into one of the best uh, policing, uh, law enforcement agencies in the country. And I and I just I can't tell you how proud I am of this organization. But it all stems to, it all falls back to the women and men who who do this job every day, 24, seven, 365. I couldn't be prouder.
2: Thanks, Brendan. Um, Do you have some suggestions? I mean, one of the criticisms of police is that they're too militarized. Um, It's it's a quasi-military agency. Um, Sort of what are your thoughts as how you could improve this?
5: Yeah, you know, I don't look at us as a paramilitary organization. Um, Every officer has been in volatile situations That scare us. I mean, we don't like to talk about it. We like to be the big, tough men and women. But we can get scared, too. We're human. Um, One thing I think is important to help overcome and get past these things is I really, truly don't believe I've ever met a racist officer. I don't. Um, But one thing, like Chief talked about, everyone has implicit bias. Another problem I think that we have in Salt Lake City and all across America is ignorance. And by ignorance, I mean just what the definition is, a lack of knowledge and understanding. Mm -hmm. Um, By sitting down with different people and people different than us, we can overcome ignorance. We can learn to see things from other people's perspective. And those are hard conversations to have sometimes, but they're also very important. Um, Part of my duties here with the police department is that I work with our police explorer post. Uh, It's youth that are interested in a career in law enforcement. Um, although our department is predominantly white and male, um, we have hired a lot more females lately than we have ever in the past. But with our explorers, probably sixty-seven, sixty to seventy percent of the explorers are people of color, men and women of color who have an interest in a career in law enforcement and a desire to do good. and And working with these kids, it's amazing to see their hearts and desires and it allows us to have some of those conversations with them. I've had conversations with uh, one of our explorers. She's black and Muslim and um, I've been able to talk to her about her feelings around these situations that have happened and it puts her in a very weird place also, right? Because she wants to support law enforcement. She wants to be in law enforcement, um, but she sees these things happening around the country and it hurts her. Um, so again, part of it is just having these hard conversations, being willing to sit down with people different than you and talk and listen.
2: Yeah. Lex, did you have some thoughts on what you think we could do?
4: Yes. The most important piece of this is police reform. Um, Black Lives Matter Utah has written a police reform bill. It's called the Police Accountability and Transparency Act. We created a petition alongside that bill um, called We Want a Police Reform Bill Now. That petition is on our website at com. We have over 130,000 signatures. Um, I was aiming for 100,000. Now I'm aiming for a million. Um, (laughs) And then I'm going to take it to Washington, D.C. But Mm -hmm. the most important facet here, because people like to say they like to argue on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and say police aren't racist or I don't see color, all lives matter, then they bring up black-on-black crime without bringing up white-on-white crime and white mass shooters and how they're captured alive. The most important piece is holding police accountable for their actions. The black community is fed up with seeing Eric Garner be choked to death by a police officer on film six years ago. And, and that police officer not be charged with a crime, then here we are six years later, and we see the same thing happen to George Floyd. And it seems like we've been protesting for six years. We haven't received change. Um, cities burn every time. And then we have these same conversations. Hey, you know, let's, let's, let's realize not all police are racist. Well, every police officer is capable of committing a racially insensitive act. They can have 100 black friends. Having a black best friend doesn't make you incapable of racism. Adopting black children doesn't Mm -hmm. make you incapable of racism. Mm -hmm. So what I need is systemic change. I need a police reform bill that holds police accountable, that says... We need civilian oversight of police departments in this nation so that when they are charged with a crime or when they are accused of police brutality, they're not allowed to investigate their own crimes. Their neighboring police department is not allowed to investigate their own crimes. We also need stronger use of force policies. That is also in my bill. De-escalation training is in my bill. Implicit bias training is in my bill. Body cam footage legislation is in my bill. And you know, my bill is not perfect. I'm not a legislator. That's my first attempt at writing a bill. I bet you can even find spelling errors in there. We don't need my bill to be passed. We need a police reform bill to be passed. And instead of us arguing about who's racist and who isn't racist, instead, let's focus on this being a systematic problem and fixing the problems within the system.
3: I can't i have i well if jason hears this he'll probably he'll scream if i don't do this um but yes like i i have to say i think you've hit perfectly spot on it's not about the people so much as it is about the system itself because yes i get the i get the questions from students from family from friends who and just this past weekend, a, f- a friend on, like you said, on Facebook sent me a picture of a black officer choking a black uh, man and saying, see, and it's like, but it's not about the person it the, it's, the system can set up things. Um,
2: well, let me ask you a question, Paul, I'm, I'm going to actually throw this to the chief Brown and then we probably have to wrap up, okay. but, but chief Brown, um, is it, is it maybe an issue of power? And, and I mean, I know the de-escalation training gets a lot of love, but I read a study that said that didn't actually do a lot in, I mean, your adrenaline's pumping, you're, you fear for your life, you're in this tough situation. Um, is there a, a component of it? I mean, I've seen it as a media person. I didn't experience it last night in Salt Lake City, but I did experience it um, a smidge at the Capitol. And I know our, a couple of our photographers have felt it. I feel lucky to be, on the job here in Utah, because for the most part, the police are as concerned about us as our bosses are. Right. Mm -hmm. So I just wonder sometimes if there isn't like also an aspect of, um, of fear and power mixed with bias and, and um, frustration. I mean, I'm, I'm just wondering your opinion on that.
1: Yeah. I, I think all those things play into to the situation that we're dealing with in the country right now but look you, you got you you have to start somewhere mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. so we have trained our officers and we've talked about implicit bias we've done the de-escalation training um, studies do show that it's short-lived if it's not put into place into practice into policy into the expectations and so um, there's other studies and one of them is called out of the car experience which means you take the training from the classroom and you put it into the community and that's what we've done here um, we are putting our officers into our community, and the expectation is that we have those positive relationships and we have difficult conversations um, so that we can build that. I mean, I think it really always goes back to trust and relationships. Um, yeah, you can do all the training you'd like. We, you can say our officers have done exactly uh, we've completed these trainings, but if you have not pushed that and foot that into the communities, I mean, and I'm saying push our officers into the communities and build those relationships, it's all for naught.
2: Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I wish we had more time. Uh, hopefully we can do this again. Um, I invite all of you back to talk about any of these issues or, or related issues. Um, uh, but thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, Paul, for the last-minute fill-in. Always um, awesome to have you along.
3: You're welcome. Thank you.
2: Join us again for the next episode of the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. If you have comments about the show, please contact us via email at voramed@gmail.com at gmail.com or Jason. Jason L at gmail.com you can also reach us on Twitter at AD on sports and Jason Lee 1 our show's Twitter handle is at VOR podcast you can check our Facebook page and you can also find and subscribe to our episodes of our podcast in all the places where you find interesting content including Google Play the KSL app and iTunes please be sure to review our show subscribe to our show we'd love to get your feedback and it helps us grow our audience until next time I'm Amy Donaldson when you engage in passionate debate Please do your best to keep your dialogue civil. Try to be the voice of reason.
5: Voices of Reason is a production of the Loudmouth Project.